So we're continuing our series uh, through the middle part of the book of Genesis. And um, one of the things that I uh, want to keep saying every single week is that this, this is a good news book. Uh, Genesis, uh, despite all of the ups and downs that we're, we're noticing and finding in the story, it is a good news book that's written to God's people on their way to the promised land after 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And it's important to keep that in, in mind because there's plenty in this book that's not good news. And uh, this morning as we come to Genesis chapter 31, we're coming to the last act in this drama between Jacob and Laban. And just to remind you who these people are, uh, we had Abraham, whose son was Isaac, whose son was Jacob and Esau. And Laban was actually the brother of Rebekah, who is the wife of Isaac, Jacob's mom. And so the, the last several chapters have been all about Jacob and Laban, and we're coming to the last uh, part of that section of the story. And so I'm going to read to you from Genesis chapter 31, and this is not actually the whole chapter. Uh, it's just really half of it. It's actually 55 verses long. But uh, these 24 verses uh, set the stage for everything that, that we're going to talk about this morning. And uh, if you're one of those people that you just really like to bring your Bible to worship, you, you, you're likely to be a very distinct advantage this, this morning uh, because we're going to be looking at uh, several uh, passages throughout this whole uh, section of Genesis. So let's listen as God, as we listen to God's word from Genesis chapter 31. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. And then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. 
Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock and his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had, he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, here's where we are in the story. It has been 20 years since Jacob left Beersheba, since he left home and traveled to Haran. And if you remember, that whole journey was uh, precipitated. It was caused by Rebekah's scheming and Jacob's deception to get Esau's blessing. Isaac has said to Esau, I want you to go and prepare this meal for me. I'm about to die, and I want to bless you as my oldest son. And Rebekah figures that out, and she favors Jacob, the younger son, and they hatch a plan to deceive Isaac. And after they succeed in doing so, and Esau finds out, he's so angry that he wants to kill Jacob. And so Rebekah sends Jacob and says, look, you need to go to my brother's house, my brother Laban in Haran, until your, your brother Esau isn't mad anymore. And Isaac uh, sends Jacob off as well and says, go, go to Laban, your mother's brother, and see if you can find a wife from our, our family tree, as it were. And that's where we are. It's been 20 years since he's left home. At the very same time, running through this whole story is God's word to Jacob in chapter 28, when he had just left home and he's on his way to Haran, to his uncle Laban's house. And it's the only episode in this enormous long journey. So it's like from here to, to uh, Chicago in the ancient Near East. There's no cars. This is a super long journey by foot. And the only instance that the narrator records is when God appears to Jacob at Bethel. And let me remind you what he said to Jacob when he appeared to Jacob in a dream. He said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and then your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So here you have, Jacob's left home, it's been 20 years. He's been living under Laban. And last week, 
we, we, we sort of saw that Laban is an unjust master who's changed Jacob's wages ten times, which doesn't mean necessarily literally ten times, but it means a whole bunch of times. And Jacob wants to return home, and it's been a long, disappointing experience. And at the very same time, these words we just read from Genesis 28 are woven into this whole story. And so here's what I want. We've got two points for this morning. We've got the human drama. These 20 years of Jacob living in his uncle's house. And we have the divine drama. God's word to Jacob back in chapter 28 that he's continuing to bring about and fulfill in his life. So what I want to do is we're going to look at the human drama and then the divine drama and and try to understand how do these two fit together and where is there any good news in this story? Because when we look, first of all, at the human drama, there's not much to be hopeful about. After Jacob arrives in Haran, what, what happens? Well, first of all, in chapter 29, after Jacob notices Rachel and says to, to Laban, I will work seven years for you, the hand of your daughter in marriage because he had no, uh, nothing to offer as a bride price, which was the custom of the time. Laban agrees to do this, but instead of giving Jacob Rachel, he deceives Jacob and gives Jacob Leah. And when Jacob figures that out, he says to, to Laban, I will work another seven years for Rachel. So the story begins right away with deception, but not only that, Jacob makes no effort to hide the fact that he loves Rachel more than Leah. Right away, the, the whole idea of, of favoritism and um, disregard enters into the most vulnerable of relationships in the, the marriages that Jacob has here with Leah and Rachel. And then Leah and Rachel, two sisters. We, we discover in chapter 29 and into 30, there's, they're full of envy for one another. They resent one another. There's competition about who is going to have more children and win the affection of their husband. And then we have... In chapter 30, after completing the 14 years of service under Laban's unjust rule, Jacob asks Laban, can I go home now? I want to go home to my family and take my wives and my children, and Laban won't let him return home. And so Jacob hatches this shrewd plan. He says, okay, yes. I will work for you another six years in exchange for your flock. The part of your flock that's the most rare, the flock that has colors on them, the flock that doesn't uh, get born that often. And Laban agrees to that, but he makes it as hard as possible for him. And... He hatches this shrewd scheme and ends up acquiring almost all of Laban's flocks and his wealth, Laban's wealth. And as we've noticed and I've mentioned throughout all of this, Jacob is living under a master who's changing his wages 
time and again. And then when we come to our passage this morning in chapter 31, Laban now no longer sees Jacob as a blessing. He no longer regards Jacob the way that he used to. And so now Jacob has to figure out what he's going to do. And Leah and Rachel, uh, he decides at God's uh, calling that they should, they should leave. And what we see in, chapter, in verses 14 to 16 this morning, both Leah and Rachel side with Jacob. Jacob says to Leah and Rachel, look, this is what's been going on. You know how I have served your dad for 20 years and how he has been unfair And here is what we need to do. And both Leah and Rachel side with Jacob, and they want nothing to do with their father. And so then, in verses 19 and 20, Laban, he goes out to shear his sheep, and Jacob tricks Laban, and he doesn't tell him that he intends to leave. And in fact, he picks this moment in the the year when he goes to shear his sheep. Uh, that doesn't, wouldn't mean much to us. But in this time and place, it means Laban's not at home. He's out far away where his, his flocks are, so he's not anywhere close. And it's the perfect time to, to flee for Jacob because Laban doesn't know, and he's a long ways away from home, and he, gets, he can get a head start. And not only that, when J- Jacob tricks Laban, Rachel... Steals her father's household gods. And as we would see later in this passage, she does so and puts her family at great risk. But what's interesting to note here is here again, the younger sibling, the younger child, deceives the father. Because as we would see later in this passage, when Laban catches up, The one thing that he gets upset about is, well, who took my household gods? And Jacob says to Laban, we didn't take anything. And in fact, if you find them, whoever has them will die. And it so happens that Rachel took them. And we know that as we read the story and the suspense mounts. Well, will Laban find his household gods? And in fact, she's sitting on them, on her camel. And... Interestingly here, just like Jacob got away with deceiving his father, Rachel gets away with it. And most commentators note in Rachel's deception here of stealing her household gods, it's, it's sort of a last, last attempt to rebuke her father and communicate, I want nothing to do with you. And as we continue through the story Upon hearing that Jacob has fled with his daughters and uh, son, with, with his wives and children, Laban pursues Jacob with the intent to harm him and to take back his daughters and his grandchildren. But when Laban can't find these household gods that Rachel has taken, we notice in and this is later in chapter 31, that Jacob finally, after 20 years, unloads on Laban. All his frustration, all his anger is poured out on 
Laban for his unjust and unfair treatment. And in the end, at the end of chapter 31, where the drama between Jacob and Laban ends, they make a covenant, which is, this, which is an agreement. And if you look at this covenant, there's lots of uh, details to it and things that they do. But basically, this covenant is a covenant of separation. It's an agreement between these two men to leave each other alone. That where they make this covenant, Jacob will not cross that place and go towards Laban, and Laban will not cross that place and go towards Jacob. It is an agreement to disagree. It's a covenant of separation. So there's a, there's a bike ride through this human drama that's full of conflict, it's full of deception, of greed, of insecurity, of injustice, and yet it is precisely within that very human and broken drama that we see the divine drama unfolding. And why is it important to take time and, and, and rehearse that a little bit? Because we all live the human drama. In, in various ways, with various flavors, we all live in this human drama every day. And what this story tells us, and what I want you to hear as we transition from the human drama to the divine drama, is that God is at work in, through, and against the human drama of your life. And that is really, really good news. So let's look here. How does this divine drama unfold in the midst of this often hopeless and tragic human drama? Well, first it's worth noting, um, you know, it's always easy and I think tempting. I, I certainly am tempted by this. As the story unfolds, you know, Laban is clearly the bad guy and Jacob is sort of iffy. <laughs> time to time, you know, Jacob kind of, you sort of feel like, okay, maybe Jacob's not quite so bad. And, and then you realize, no, he's just, he's just, he's just a mixed bag. And, and I just want to keep saying that none of the characters in this story, none of them are virtuous characters. The point of this story is not to locate the human hero of the story because there aren't any. The point of this story is to notice something about how, what, what, what does the divine drama that we're going to see here tell us? Well, it's why I picked what I picked for our call to worship. The divine drama that we see unfold in this narrative, in this story, is this communicating in story form the same point that Jesus made to the religious leaders when he said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So what do we see here? What we see is in chapter 29, verse 1, when after God has made these promises to, to Jacob that I am with you, I will keep you, I will bring you back, we see that God has kept Jacob throughout his entire journey and brings him to his uncle's house. And then in chapter 29 and into 30, God provides Jacob a family with a whole bunch of children. And then we see in chapter 29 into 30 again that 
God, in the midst of giving Jacob a family, and even in the midst of this really unfair social situation that Matt did a great job unfolding for us, for Leah and Rachel, even in the midst of all of that, God sees and he listens and he remembers Leah and Rachel throughout that entire situation. And then we see that God actually blesses Laban because of Jacob. That God's blessing continues to follow Jacob and all those that he's with. And then in, when we come to chapter 31, verse 3, after Jacob understands and realizes that Laban doesn't like him anymore, God, for the first time since chapter 28, God speaks to Jacob and says, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. That's an echo of what God had said to, to Jacob before he even made it to Haran, when he said, I am with you, and I will keep you. And what it first looks like when we looked last week in chapter 30, when, when Jacob says to, to Laban, yeah, I, I will keep your flocks again. And I will take the, the odd ones, the, the ones that you don't normally expect to be born. I'll take all those, and you can have the ones that you would expect. And hatches this plan, and it, it, it definitely sounds like in chapter 30 that, that Jacob is scheming and conniving, and that all may be true. But what we notice in chapter 31 is in verses, look at here in verses 11 to 14, when Jacob's talking to Leah and Rachel, he says, the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock and are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. You see, Jacob's plan to get Laban's flock was actually part of God's mercy to him, his provision for him, his way of bringing about his words of promise to Jacob. And not only that, what we see here in verses 14 to 16 of chapter 31 is God turns the hearts and minds of Leah and Rachel toward Jacob and away from their father and away from their home. And they end up saying to Jacob, We see what God is doing. We will go with you. Do whatever you think we should do. And what we see here in in this final episode between Jacob and Laban is this. In verse 3, which we looked at just a second ago, God is with Jacob and he's been with him. In verses 6 to 7, when uh, Jacob says to Uh, Rachel and Leah, you know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. God has been protecting Jacob. He's been taking care of him despite Laban's mistreatment. And then in the same way, verses 22 to 24, when Laban is pursuing Jacob after he's left, and wants to do harm to Jacob, God prevents Laban from doing so. He appears to Laban and he says, don't you say anything good or bad to Jacob, which is a 
a phrase that essentially means, do not touch him. God protects him. And God also provides Jacob with great wealth by essentially taking from Laban and giving it to Jacob. And at every point, what I want you to see, or at least get the feel for in this story, at every point, God has woven his grace and faithfulness into this story. And I'll tell you, as I was thinking about this, this whole section, that's kind of a hard thing to say because the human drama is so morally screwed up. And yet you see God working with that or through it or against it in order to fulfill his word in Jacob's life. Now, what that tells us is this, that the human drama is not impenetrable. In other words, your life, no matter how chaotic, no matter how messed up, is not sealed off from God weaving his divine drama and grace and mercy into your life. I just want that to sit with you for a minute. That what this story teaches us is that God, he can and does weave his word, his promises, his grace, his protection, his provision his love into broken human lives. And I want to end by by coming back to where this whole story ends with Jacob and Laban and their covenant. Remember how I said it was a covenant of separation. You know, you, you read that covenant, that agreement, and it leaves so much to be desired. It's not a resolution to this story Here you have a father who's estranged from his daughters. You have a son-in-law who's so terrified of his uncle that he tricks him and leaves without saying anything. You have an uncle who's a a smarmy businessman and only wants his nephew around because he's getting richer having him there. This is a terrible story. And the best that this story can come up with is these two guys say, I'll leave you alone if you leave me alone. I don't know, perhaps you have family members and stories or friends like that where that's the best that could be done. And yet, what I want you to see here in this story, that covenant stands in stark contrast to God's covenant that we've seen in this book so far. Because if you were to look back at Genesis chapter 15, when God makes his covenant with Abraham that he continues to make with Isaac and then Jacob, it was a covenant where God told Abraham, I want you to cut these animals apart and separate them. And I'm going to pass through these separated animals. And what that means is my covenant is not a covenant of separation. 
It's a covenant of bringing together. It's a covenant of blessing, not of alienation. And so when you, when you see that, now what we begin to discover is that the whole story of the Bible is God weaving his divine drama, this covenant of blessing, into a broken human drama in order to put us back together with him. And that's what the gospel is all about. Because in Jesus Christ, we see the human drama and the divine drama come together in one person. And on the cross, what we see is God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, being rent asunder. Because what's happening on the cross is that covenant of blessing is being preserved. But Jesus is bearing the penalty that we deserve. God is both bearing the punishment of our failing to keep covenant with him. And in Jesus, he is keeping covenant perfectly for us. So as this story of Jacob and Laban ends and it's not resolved, and in fact there's not much good news at the end of this story, there is profound good news in this story because God has woven his word of blessing and promise into it. And it's still unfolding as we'll continue to see. And that story as we follow it through, brings us to Jesus and the fulfillment of God's covenant, not of separation, but of blessing, of bringing us home. So we can say at the end of this story, at this point, Jesus Christ is God in the flesh saying to you, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you home. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this story and the ways in which, even in the midst of its ugliness and brokenness and defiance, you continue to weave your your grace and promises into this story. And Father, we ask that you would help us to have tangible moments where, in light of your word, we see you doing the same thing for us today that we continue to see you because of Jesus speaking words of hope and promise into our lives, that we see you protecting us and providing for us, that we see you sustaining us through and in the midst of hardship and injustice and mistreatment and unfairness and loss and insecurity and fear and disappointment. Father, would you help us to find in Jesus, the riches of your grace on full display. And we ask that you would help us to rest in him, to delight in him. And we pray that in doing so, you would move us to love you and to love our neighbors as you've loved us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.